New Year. Welcome to the local edition news and information. We're keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. And we're continuing our look back on the year that was and which implies a look ahead at the year that will be. And this week we're doing that. We're tackling different subject areas or different localities. And today's story is so big, we're going to devote the whole show to having a very long conversation about the year that was in terms of environmental issues, specifically climate change issues, specifically in New York State. And to help us do that, my guest for tonight's program, it's Lissa Harris, freelance climate reporter who writes for the Times Union and also publishes the Empire of Dirt newsletter, climate policy newsletter that Lissa puts out. And Lissa's on the phone with us right now. Lissa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And I got to say, you know, say it up front, and I'll probably say it later, but thank you for staying on top of these issues that you know better than pretty much anybody else, that most of us aren't looking at it that closely. Like, even those of us who are concerned about the environment or concerned about climate change issues, uh, there's it. There's just so much to it, and it, it doesn't really, the information doesn't always get to us, so it's real easy for us to overlook it, but you really, you really look at this stuff. Well, Jason, you know what? If I had a nickel for every time I, you know, somebody asked me an innocent question about, you know, what's going on in climate, you know, and these are people who care. Like, I actually struggle to find people who don't care, even people who are cynical about all this stuff. You know, they care about what's going on. I think the overwhelming majority of the general public is like, yeah, climate change is happening and it's bad and I care about it. Like, this is a common ordinary perspective. <laughs> but I don't blame anyone for not following the minutia of it because it's it's, you know, solving climate problems is a fiendishly complicated task. It's uh and it's complicated in a lot of dimensions. It's uh you know, it's not just that climate science is complicated, but um, you know, the there there's a lot of kind of technical complication in how you solve problems of stopping the burning of fossil fuels, which is what's really overwhelmingly driving climate change. And there's also, you know, incredible political complexity in, okay, once you figure out what you have to do, which is already complicated, how do you politically pull off doing it? It's just, it's so much, and you have to stay on top of so many different realms um, that, you know, once I started going down this rabbit hole of following what was happening with the effort to solve climate problems in New York State, um, you know, which I was doing full time for the River Newsroom last year. And now now that I branched out on my own, I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not going to stop writing about this because I know too much and it's too interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I went, I, I branched out on my own and now I'm, now I'm writing for myself and for my readers on Empire of Dirt, which is my own newsletter that I run on Substack. I'm writing for the Times Union. I'm writing for the river and, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm writing all over the place, but it's a lot to stay on top of. And I really am trying to stay on top of both the political aspects of this effort 
as well as, you know, the, 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 the engineering and the science and the local government efforts that are happening and the local business efforts that are happening to try to solve some of these climate problems. It's a lot. And we'll mention it again uh, at the end, but before we go any further, how, where do people find your uh, Empire of Dirt newsletter? You can find me at empireofdirt.substack.com, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope people do. Most so, of it is free, but if you if you send me five bucks a month, <laughs> you will get all of it. <laughs> you'll be able to keep doing that work. And, and um, I will keep doing that work. This was a year where uh, these things really – it was a big year in climate uh, in New York State, it right? It was. It was a big year, and I think next year is going to be a bigger year, but we'll get to that. But, yes, 2022 was, was a, a big year in terms of, you know – gears turning, things moving, things moving forward. Uh, you know, there's a lot happening on the state level about climate and climate problems and climate solutions that most people aren't super aware of, because like you said, it does not dominate the headlines. This is slow, wonky policy work. And, uh, you know, it's not flashy. So it's, it's tough to stay on top of. And also we forget as time goes by, it's really easy to forget what happens. Let's start with one of the more recent things that actually did grab some headlines if people were looking, which is the Environmental Bond Act uh, passing in New York State. Yeah, voters, New York State voters passed the Environmental Bond Act. They voted to, uh, you know, to to put up a, a, a big chunk of money towards a bunch of different environmental projects. In the climate dimension, a lot of that money is going toward not necessarily, uh, you know, reducing emissions, but towards resilience, toward making local communities and our infrastructure and, uh, you know, our various important things that, that make things function around here, uh, resilient to climate disaster, which for us here in the rural Northeast uh, mostly takes the form of flooding. So, um, you know, a lot of that that funding that voters voted to pass is, is going to go towards kind of fixing the problems that climate disaster causes in a, in a physical way for communities. And, you know, there, that's, you can kind of divide climate spending into two buckets. You've got you've got the work of decarbonization of, of, of getting away from fossil fuels, which is trying to stave off worse problems in the future. And then you've got the work of resilience, which is trying to you know, make climate disaster less painful for for people, less less uh, destructive to our infrastructure and to our communities. So, you know, and the trouble is you really have to do both of those things at once uh, because even if you go as hard as you can on stopping the burning of fossil fuels, you are still going to have to deal with increasing climate disruption until we sort this all out. <laughs> <laughs> which is going to be decades. It's going to be a long time. So, yeah, um, that was a long preamble. But my, my thought about the Environmental Bond Act is that it's really interesting, really, really interesting to me that it was it was not a controversial vote. It was not a close vote. You know, this is a year where we saw in New York State um, a very, very tense, tight, contest between Democrats and Republicans at, you know, at the federal level in Congress, at the at the governor level. Uh, you know, it was it, it was really it was a fierce year. Uh, 
But none of that touched the Environmental Bond Act. People overwhelmingly voted for it. <laughs> it was more popular than Kathy Hochul. Uh, right. You know, people want to fix things, even if they don't fully understand where that money is going, what it's going to be spent on, the dimensions of how the climate problems work and how you fix them, even if they don't have really a good understanding of all that, which is tough. Um they want to do something. They want to fix this stuff. So this is great. What I'm hearing from you is that, like, above whatever good the the actual uh, people voting on the bond, whatever actual good that the bond does, uh, is actually above that. There's the bigger good of you looking at this vote as a, a litmus, a, a measuring stick, where New Yorkers are at in terms of their their feelings and their willingness to tackle these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there there's I think that there's a general sense that people have that climate change is, is a controversial issue. And, you know, there are definitely people who don't think it's happening or don't think they don't think it matters. But like, I don't think it's the issue that it was 10 or 15 years ago. It, it's uncontroversial to say, yeah, it's that's that's happening and it's bad and we should probably do something about it. <laughs> right. You know, I think the majority of people you know, no matter how they politically identify, are are in the camp of, yeah, this stuff is happening and it's bad. That's great. We're going to take a quick break here. My guest is Lissa Harris, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. I'm Lakshmi Singh from NPR. It has been a long year full of major news stories. The Supreme Court has eliminated the constitutional right to an abortion. The January 6th committee has begun to lay out what it has learned about this morning as Ukrainians face down the reality of a Russian invasion. Britain's longest serving monarch has died at the age of 96. The NPR network is here for you, and it takes all of us to make this coverage possible. Donate to the station today, and thank you. I want to wish everyone happy Kwanzaa and peace and blessings for the new year. For me, Kusa Grace at the Music Emporium. Stay safe, keep yourself safe, and please remember the WJFF Radio Catskill isn't on your radio. Your radio really isn't on. Peace. Hotep Uhuru. Welcome back to the local edition news and information. We're keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. We're focusing on climate change, climate change in New York State and upstate New York in particular. And uh, I want to share with you the words of somebody who's writing about the fact that there is a climate action council in New York State. You may not be aware of it, but you will be uh, after we complete this conversation. Uh, but one of the, the quotes I want to share with you goes like this. The gas industry in New York will fight decarbonization to the bitter end. In that fight, they will seize opportunities to play on deep public fears about change and uncertainty in a realm that's so technically challenging that most members of the public do not truly understand the issues involved or the solutions that exist to tackle very real problems created by the transition away from fossil fuels. And right now we're speaking to the author of those words in the most recent, as of this recording, most recent edition of Empire of Dirt, titled There Will Be Politics. The author is Lissa Harris, freelance climate reporter, 
Uh, Lisa, that, that part really stood out to me, uh, that notion <laughs> that there, there, people have different interests that are at the table here and, um, like water getting into the cracks of rocks and freezing in the winter, like politics are going to get in and start dividing folks. Oh, I love that metaphor. I might steal it from you. Go it's for so it. Great. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Oh, this stuff is, this stuff is wild. And like, I don't know. For the past year and a half, more even, I guess the past two years, I just have spent so much time hollering at people going, you know, did you know that this stuff is happening? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a secret. It's the, the Climate Action Council's meetings have been public and you can watch them live. You can watch them on YouTube. You can read their minutes. You can, you know, you can find all this stuff. It's on the state website, but it's so wonky that even reporters are not, you know, delving into it too deeply. Their last meeting before, uh, before the, the, the meeting where they took their big vote, which was Monday, uh, the meeting before that, it was slated to be four hours and it went over. They had to extend it. It, it's so, there's, it's so tedious. <laughs> But just to make sure that I really important things are happening in in all of this tedium, really important things. Well, the the vote is so is this they voted on on the plan for moving forward? Because I feel like in the past week you explained it, there is a plan or most of a plan in New York State. But there there are even uh, questions over what the terms in the plans even mean. Yeah, it's you know, it's a lot. It's this plan that they just voted on on Monday. So, yes, New York State officially finally has a plan uh for tackling climate problems um this is a this is a a process that got set in motion uh you know about three years ago when new york state passed the their climate law um the the climate leadership and community protection act or clcpa this is a realm stuffed with terrible acronyms but the clcpa was passed in 2019 it was a big deal um everyone went you know my God, this is a big deal. It was a it was a very nation leading uh, piece of legislation, um, basically committing New York State to very very ambitious targets in the realm of greenhouse gas emissions reduction. Um, and you know, people rightly looked at it and said, "This is this is the most ambitious thing in the nation." And then guess what happened? Twenty twenty rolled around. Uh, I don't know. You remember anything happening in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was a little bit of a pandemic that kind of, you know, yeah. sucked up everyone's attention. So we had, you know, we had pandemic. We had the, the Cuomo Roadshow about pandemic, which I also covered. It was super, super unfun. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then when that was all kind of winding down, we had the uh, the Cuomo Scandal Roadshow. It's we've had many other things that have dominated the news and the headlines since the CLCPA passed. But this whole time, this entire time, the Climate Action Council, which was created by the 2019 climate law, has been steadily at work. Um, they released a draft plan last December, which I wrote about for the River Newsroom, um, and that plan actually got it got i think uh, i think basil segos the commissioner of the dec who's the co-chair of the climate action council uh said it got like 
about 35,000 public comments. There are a lot of people in the state of New York who've weighed in on this thing, and a lot more who don't know that it exists. But, but yeah, this plan has been the work of the Climate Action Council for the past three years. Uh, and that Climate Action Council is about half, a little more than half state agency heads, um, but the other members of the Climate Action Council are a really interesting bunch. They include people from the uh, the fossil fuel and utility world. They include community and environment advocates. They include scientists. Uh, it, you know, they're 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 an interesting bunch, and they have a lot of different interests at heart. And they've all contributed to this plan. They've all, you know, argued and debated and and collaborated and, and worked, you know, on this incredibly intense effort of crafting a plan, kind of a roadmap, if you will, for how New York State is going to really get off fossil fuels almost entirely by 2050 out of, and out of every aspect of the economy. So that includes the biggest problem in New York State, the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions, is not some tremendous industry. It's not some manufacturing concern. It's buildings. It is, it is how we heat our buildings. A third of New York State's greenhouse gas emissions are from buildings. And then the next biggest thing is transportation. And that's mainly, you know, driven by how people drive, how people use their, their own personal cars. So, you know, there's a lot of work in here in terms of making it attractive and economical for people to make clean energy choices and also uh, to try to ensure that, you know, when new buildings get built, when, you know, eventually when, uh, you know, when you buy a, a new car, that those things should be clean energy driven. So that's, it's a lot. <laughs> there, there's, there are a number of things that this brings to mind, but I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Cuomo. And the fact that we're talking about a council meeting at the state level that has multiple stakeholders uh, at the table working uh, in in what seems to be good faith on coming up with solutions for a big problem uh, and, th- and that this initiative started under the, the Cuomo administration, it just brings up to me uh, memories of uh, what happened, was supposed to happen in every municipality across the state on a very different issue, which was uh, policing and community relations in New York State. Every municipality is supposed to come up with a plan for essentially revitalizing uh, policing in that municipality. And then afterwards, a majority of the stakeholders, at least uh, in our area that I talked to, felt like that it, ultimately it was just for show and it didn't really add up to much significant change, if any. So on a scale of like one to ten, one being like what that process was as, as window dressing and ten being like something's really going to get done here and it's going to be good. Where does the Climate Action Council fit on that rating scale? That is such a good question. And I will preface my answer by saying, if you ask different people, you will get different answers. I definitely know some people who are like, this is, this is, this is a, a, an exercise for wasting the time of wonks and for getting people all excited about doing a whole bunch of work that isn't going to go anywhere. I know people who think that, who I respect. Uh, I disagree. I would give it about maybe a, maybe a, maybe a seven. Let's give it a seven. It is definitely not like, you know, the 
I, this plan doesn't, it's not a law and it's not a regulation. It doesn't have legal force at this point. But I think that this, you know, this process, this document, whatever you want to call it, is important enough and is, you know, it has enough, it has enough gravity and it has enough authority, especially in state agency world, that it is going to move things forward. And again, to quote you to you from the beginning of your most recent newsletter on New York City, you say its electrical power system is something of an island, mostly cut off from the low carbon hydro nuclear power that provides most of the juice upstate and instead is powered almost entirely by natural gas. And that was that was a bit of an aha thing for me reading that. And uh, but you say one of the one of the other big uh, developments in the past year in terms of, of climate change is something that addresses this, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, a big, big thing that happened in 2022 was two transmission lines um, that are going to bring power into New York City got approved by the Public Service Commission. Um it also, I want to throw a mention here into uh, to offshore wind. The biggest, the biggest energy lease auction that the federal government has ever held, and this includes, you know, oil, gas, everything else. The biggest, like money-wise, auction uh, was for offshore wind uh, this year. And uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of offshore wind built um, that's going to flow into New York City as well. So that's that's. Let me just just throw that out there. But the two transmission lines, um, you know, which were one of them the, uh, is called uh, Clean Path, and that one runs from the edge of my own Delaware County. Uh, it's going to be an underground transmission line that's going to run into the city, and it's going to carry clean power, some of which is already built. Uh, you know, you have you have uh, you have some hydropower upstate, um, but also it's going to uh, you know be a, a, a line that new renewables built upstate can connect to. And so that's one of them. And that one was relatively uncontroversial. The other one is called Chippy, and it's going to run under the Hudson River for, for a long length of it, uh, up all the way to Quebec in Canada. And it is going to bring Canadian hydropower into the city, uh, which solves a lot of interesting problems, actually, if you have uh, hydropower kind of there as 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 a backup for uh, intermittent renewables like wind and solar. You can almost use hydro as like a battery and, uh, and, you know, store power and then release it when it's, uh, when other things are low. So, you know, that is, it's an important piece. But, you know, the chippy transmission line has been wildly controversial amongst environmentalists in upstate New York, amongst, uh, people who are otherwise, you know, extremely you know, vocally on the side of climate action, uh, have, have been <laughs> not as much on the, on, on Chippy. Chippy has divided the climate world pretty intensely in New York State. And that has been really, really interesting to watch. And I think we're going to see more of that because frankly, you know, the traditional model for how you do environmentalism and, and had, that had its birthplace in the Hudson Valley really, uh, has been all about fighting projects and saying no to development and so much of what's coming uh, and, 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 and of how we solve climate problems involves building things. It involves building big things. And 
you know, having <laughs> having large uh, large projects that that have trade offs that you really have to wrestle with. It's like, yeah, this project is not going to be impact free. It's going to do things. It's going to solve some problems and it's going to create others, and we have to deal with that. And that's something that environmentalists and you know people in the climate world more broadly, because I think I think uh, I think climate problems are bigger than you know just quote unquote the environment. I think that's something that the environmental movement and uh, you know locally and everywhere is really really having to grapple with, and we'll only have to grapple with more as the incentives from the Inflation Reduction Act start to take effect as we really start to get serious about the transition away from fossil fuels and towards clean energy. This is getting really interesting, and uh, it's fertile ground for people like me, for reporters to get into it. You're talking about solutions to very complicated issues with a lot of nuance, with a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, I'd be wary of anybody trying to sell a very simple solution at this point. I agree. And I think uh, I think that climate problems are a real test of whether we can work with each other in good faith in, uh, you know, not just in government, but especially in government, whether that's local government or state government or the federal government, because good faith work across different interests, different, you know, people with people with different constituencies is so important. It's so, so important. (laughs) You might roll your eyes at that because this is obviously a time of great division and it's painful, not just in a a national politics way, but in a personal way, like we've, we've all had this, I'm sure within our families, you know, these, these divisions are painful. It's very, very hard to work in good faith with people you politically disagree with. Uh, I think climate problems are such a test of can we do this stuff? Can we can we even begin to talk about this stuff? And I don't know. I'm a little bit of a Pollyanna sometimes. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I at, at the local level, you see this stuff happening because, you know, at the local level, we all know each other and people frequently have to deal with each other kind of across the aisle and it just feels different. And so, you know, that gives me a little bit of hope that maybe we can uh, – Maybe we can actually work on some of this stuff because it's it's not clear cut, you know, that there are heroes and villains here. It's not clear cut exactly what we have to do. It's all hideously complicated. And, uh, you know, if we do work with each other in good faith there, we stand to win big time because climate problems are energy problems and because energy touches everything. There are all sorts of opportunities to address historical inequities and to create new economic opportunities for communities that have, you know, struggled to find them and to train a workforce to tackle these problems. You know, there's lots of stuff like that. Yeah. And and the only other thing I would add to all this, too, is... is um... This is this is about human nature. This is about, you know, things that humanity has been dealing with from the beginning. About how do we how do we plan for change? How do we react to change? How do we work together? It's really or not? hard for people to cooperate about future, you know, long term planning type stuff. It's yeah. just really hard. You're yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's much we see this with COVID too. It's so hard. It's so hard. You know? <laughs> it's it's painful to watch as somebody who is you know, who's naturally sort of wonky and inclined to like thinking about, you know, 
complicated problems and stuff long long in the future but it's yeah this the this stuff requires uh looking ahead and and thinking about a little bit more than your own bare self-interest and that stuff is hard for people to do and i have compassion for people who find it hard I want to thank you for helping us both look ahead and look back. Uh, we've, we, uh, we finally reached that point that we knew would come, uh, where we've run out of time. And that point was about nine minutes ago. So to hear the <laughs> full version, to hear this full conversation, go to wjffradio.org. We'll, we'll post it there. I want to thank Lisa Harris, freelance climate reporter. The Empire of Dirt is, uh, the newsletter and you can find that at empireofdirt.substack. Dot com. Lisa, thank you again for doing this work, and, and, and I wish you all the best in the year ahead. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I'm always delighted to be here. This is a local edition, news and information, keeping you connected in Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. Make sure you never miss any edition of the local edition. Sign up for our podcast wherever you get podcasts from. I'm Jason Dole. We'll do it again tomorrow. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. To get the news right, you need solid facts and sound perspectives. And you also need support. It takes all of us. Give to this NPR station right now. Radio Catskill was here for you through it all this year. We'll continue our dedication to a more informed community, but we can't do it without your support. Make your tax-deductible year-end donation now at WJFFRadio.org before December 31st. Your support today leads to greater impact 